All right, friends, so we have been talking about kingdom culture. We are offending everyone every week. Uh, we're not trying to. It's just, you know, this is just kind of the way it is. So because we've been talking about the, the kingdom of God and the culture of the kingdom of God. And we've said that, that Jesus is the king. He's the king of heaven. And, and when he came to earth, he said, the kingdom of heaven is here. It's among you right here and now. And so the culture of heaven the kingdom of heaven is coming to earth, and what's going to happen is when the kingdom of heaven comes, it's going to clash with the cultures that are here on earth. Whether we're talking about humanity broadly and just kind of how we live as human beings, or whether or not we're talking about here in the U.S. or in China, or whether we're talking about the culture of our home or our heart, the kingdom of God, when it comes, it comes with its own culture, and there's going to be a clash. And so, so I'm being silly about offending people. We're not trying to do that. We're not trying to be that church that just makes people mad to make people mad. But like. Sometimes when we encounter God, it's going gonna, it's gonna to wrestle things up because here's what the kingdom does. This is what we've been saying. The kingdom culture, it exposes our values, so it exposes the things that we really value. It overcomes evil, and it brings freedom. So this is what happens when the culture of the kingdom comes and exposes our value. It overcomes evil, and it brings freedom. And today, we're going to talk about a culture of faith versus a culture of fear. Culture of faith versus a culture of fear. Turn with your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 14, or it will be up on your screen. I think it's 1422. This is going to be a famous story that many of you probably have heard uh, and know. So let me just set this up. Jesus has been going around and beginning to preach the gospel and do all kinds of awesome miracles. And right before this happens, he's fed the people on the countryside, the 5,000. He's fed the people um, this incredible thing that everyone has witnessed, this incredible miracle. And then all of a sudden, it jumps in here in verse 22. It says, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. So they're by a lake. So he makes them get into the boat and, goes, and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. So let me just paint that picture. Jesus is just done. He's been ministering all day. He's been doing all this incredible stuff. I believe before the story, Jesus is already tired. And after all of that, he still decides, I need to go spend time with my father. So he leaves the crowds. He sends the disciples by themselves to go across the sea. And he goes by himself at night to pray. And he's at night, it says, he was later there at night and he was alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because of the wind that was against it. Let me just pause right there. So they're on this lake. It's a big lake. And if you've ever been on a body of water, it doesn't take much time for all of a sudden the waters to get really turbulent. The wind can kick up in just a heartbeat. Just actually this summer, we had some sailboats on Bangs Lake, which isn't that big of a lake, that toppled over. Jeff and Krista were actually there and called 911 because these boats had toppled over because a wind kind of came out of nowhere and these boats flipped over. So here are these guys, and all of a sudden, a wind now, it's a headwind. It's blowing up against the front of the boat, and they're having a hard time kind of rowing or paddling into it. And these are hardened, most, a couple of these guys are hardened fishermen. They've spent their whole life catching fish and being on these waters. They know it, but it's still a scary place uh, and it's a, a place to be. So here's what happens next. Shortly before dawn, so this is going on now all through the night. They're battling the storm, trying to get to the other side. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. I like how it mentions that as though NBD, like there's no big deal. 
Like, Jesus is just taking a stroll on a lake. He doesn't pause and explain how he did this. It's like, it, there's no, like, explanation of this. It's just Jesus is doing it. I just love how, how the Bible is sometimes. I'm like, okay, cool. Just walking on a lake, fine. Next verse. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. I would say that fear is probably an appropriate response in this situation. Their lives are in danger. They're in the middle of this lake where the wind is crazy and the waves are there. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they see a person walking where there should not be a person walking. Like, you would think, I don't know about you, but I would probably be afraid. Like, the boat is about to flip over, and out of nowhere, you see someone, and you think this person is a ghost. It would be normal for that situation to produce fear. And just for the sake of coming, have a, have a working definition. So this is the Oxford D Dictionary uh, definition of fear. Fear is an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous likely to cause pain or is a threat. So it's a basic dictionary definition of fear. It's an unpleasant feeling. Like, I mean, some, some of us like to be afraid. Anyone like, like to do things, like watch scary movies? It's okay to admit this in here. It's okay. You, you like bumps in the night. Like you like, to, you know, I, when I was a kid, I used to love like thriller movies. And I used to, I just love, I love roller coasters. It's like, uh, but also I know I'm strapped in and the likelihood of me dying is like really, really low, you know, but I like that feeling, right? But for the most part, fear is an unpleasant feeling or emotion. Like it's something that we don't want to have. And we all, like the disciples, have experienced fear in our lives. We live in a world where there are dangers all around us all the time. Like, the, you know, at any given moment, um, uh, for those of you who have anxiety, I'm sorry I'm doing this to you right now, but at any given moment, things can go bad. Like, the, we live in a world where the fear is actually a helpful physiological response to the dangers that are around us. So just think about this for a second. Actually, today, I walked in the house, and, and uh, the wind, we had our windows open, and a door got slammed shut because of the, because of the wind, and Jen let out a scream. She says, ah! It's like a natural response to a loud noise that you weren't expecting in the house. Or the feeling, like, have you ever been in your car, and you, like, are pulled up to a stoplight or you're slowing down, and you look in your rearview mirror, and you see the car behind you has no idea that you're stopped? And that feeling in your heart, like, oh, my gosh, please slow down, please slow down, please slow down. That's, that's a little bit of fear. And then what that does for us, it actually physiologically starts to do stuff in our bodies where we now have to decide how we're going to react. And usually, it's not a conscious choice. We grip the steering wheel tighter. We immediately start to sweat. without. It's not conscious. You're not like, hey, body, start sweating. It just does it, right? You've been nervous and your palms get sweaty? Are you guys live? Are you okay? You guys gave it all away during worship tonight. You got nothing left for this. So you know what I'm talking about? Like it's, it's a physiological response. It's actually a biological thing that's happening. And your brain says, hey, something is dangerous and body react, okay? So all of these triggered processes and things, it's our most basic senses to respond to the danger. Fear exists in the fallen state of the world. And the, the world where we live in, where danger is, fear exists because it's meant to keep us from physical and emotional harm when possible. But here's what I want us to see right away. Even in the midst of fear, even in the midst of real danger, and even when there is a legitimate reason to be afraid, 
Jesus, the voice of Jesus, calls to us to replace fear with faith. So even in this legitimate situation, we just said, like, this is like a normal thing for the disciples to be afraid, but the voice of Jesus calls to us to replace fear with faith. Here's what Jesus says. He says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't seem very, like, sympathetic or, like, empathic of Jesus to say. Every pastoral counseling course I've ever taken and every book you'll read on the subject The one thing you don't say to someone when they're afraid is don't be afraid. Jesus didn't get the memo on this one. Like he he speaks directly into the fear in this moment. Instead, actually, if you go throughout the Bible and and the ministry of Jesus and what he has to say, one of the most common things that God says, it's one of the most repeated phrases to his people is do not fear. Don't be afraid. It's almost on, in every book of the Bible, it's almost on every chapter of the Bible, like there's this voice of God saying, don't be afraid. And when do you tell someone not to be afraid? You usually tell someone not to be afraid when there's a reason for them to be afraid. Like you're saying it because a person is already afraid. And so this teaches us something about what faith actually is. See, faith isn't the absence of fear but it's trust in God despite there being reasons not to. Faith isn't the absence of fear, it's trust in God despite there being some apparent reasons not to. Some reason why I might should be fearful. Actually, the biblical definition of faith helps us here. Hebrews 11.1 says this, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Not about what we do see, but about what we don't see. See, the disciples in this story, they can't see how they will be delivered. This is a dangerous situation, and now there's a ghost in the mix, right? And Jesus asks them not to simply be optimistic. Let me just hobby horse here for a minute. Optimism is not the same as faith. Optimism is a positive outlook, and that's a good thing to have. Some people are just half glass full of people, and I love you, and I want to be around you all the time. That's really good. You just genuinely walk through life believing that good things are going to happen and it's going to be okay. I love you. Come and hang out with me. I need more of you. I'm the person who is like, it's always bad. It's always wrong. It's terrible. How do we fix it? Like, I mean, that's just so, but optimism is not the same as faith. There are lots of optimistic people in the world who are carefree and kind of care less, but they don't actually have faith. So faith is a different thing. What Jesus is asking them is not to ignore the circumstances, not asking them to say, hey, don't worry about this thing that's happening. Instead, what Jesus is asking of them is to trust in him because he is with them. And if he is with them, then all will be well. What he's asking them to do is have confidence in what they hope for, that they will actually be delivered despite what they see because he is with them. He's asking them to look at their circumstances differently because he is on the water with them. I want, to, I, want you to, I, want to, I want to let that register in your mind. Part of faith is about looking at our circumstances differently, not ignoring them, not dismissing them, but looking at them differently because Jesus is with us. Faith is actually an active trust in the face of things that are uncertain. That's what faith is. It's an active trust in the face of things that are uncertain. 
We equate faith with certainty, and that's not the same thing. That's not a biblical definition of faith. That's not how it actually works. Jesus actually doesn't rebuke them for fear. He rebukes them for their lack of faith. Because we can have fear, and it can turn to faith. Fear will come, but faith is the response to fear. Well, just an example, Psalm 56, verses 3 through 4. Here's what it says. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. That's an amazing verse. you got to highlight that one. you got to star it. What do you do when you're afraid? I put my trust in him. Verse 4, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust, and I am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? So I, I, I am afraid, but what do I do when I'm afraid? I put my conscious trust in the one who I know can rescue me. And then what happens is faith begins to grow. We'll talk more about that in a second. Max Lucado, famous writer and Christian, says, look, he says, fear will come to each one of our homes, meaning our houses. It will come to each one of our homes. But it should be a visitor, not a resident. It should be a visitor, not a resident. If you are alive and living in this life, you will experience moments of fear. There will be things that cause everything in you to say, be afraid. But that should not be the, the posture of our heart. It shouldn't be the climate and the culture of who we are. You see, God designed us to operate this way. This is his design. It's his culture. We were designed to trust in him, with, trust him with everything, and believe anything is possible. We were designed to trust him with everything and believe that anything is possible. That is how you are designed to operate. That's the culture of the kingdom because he is the king and he is trustworthy. He's the king and he is trustworthy. He deserves our trust. He made the whole world. This is the maker of the waters walking on the water. He is worthy of our trust. So we get to, we are designed to trust in him. When Jesus says the words to his disciples, take courage, it is I, he's actually using the same exact words that, that God spoke to Moses all the way back in the Old Testament. Remember the story? God asked, uh, Moses asked God, who should I tell the people that is sending me for their deliverance? And God responds with his name, I am, Yahweh. It's the same exact words right here in your text. So what does this mean? Jesus is walking on the water and he's saying, I am. I am Yahweh. I am the same God who has delivered your people all the way going back to the beginning. I'm the same God who told Joshua all the way back in the beginning, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified because the Lord your God is with you. It's the same God walking with them on the water. He is trustworthy and he is with us. We trust him in everything and anything is possible and there's nothing he can't do. This is the story, guys, of our faith. There isn't, there, I don't know what story we want to adopt, but this is the story of our faith. Going back to Abraham and Sarah who can't have a baby but that has a baby miraculously. Going back to the people of God who were enslaved and pinned in by the waters of the sea and God parts the seas who walk through the desert with no food and God miraculously pro provides food. It's the story of a scrawny kid named David who conquers a, a, a Goliath giant, right? It's the story of a person in a lion's den who doesn't get consumed by lions. 
It's it's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, and they don't get burned up. Guys, this is our God. This is our faith, the God who deserves our trust and and the God in whom anything is possible. We can trust him with everything, but that is not the culture that we live in. Yes, there are legitimate fears, but the truth is we live in a culture of fear. This is, uh, I was doing a little bit of research here, and I found this incredible article in Psychology Today. So not a, not a, Christian, um, not a Christian publication at all, but the person who wrote the article was a psychologist and an anthropologist, and he also happens to be a priest. And here's what he says. Some fear is good and essential. This is a long quote, by the way, but I think it's important, so I'm going to read all of it. Our very survival depends on a healthy fright or flight response. It can focus our attention when we need it. It can wake us up from our slumbering existence. We, all, we know all too well. And most important, it can save, save our lives. But most fear is not like that. Most fear that we carry around in our hearts, in our heads, in our bodies, and our souls serve no useful, helpful, or adaptive purpose and can be harmful. There is no immediate threat to our survival or well-being that is involved. Some of this fear might have had legitimate basis sometime in the past, but the threat has gone while the fear remains. This kind of fear can create a world unto itself. At first, it creeps into the fabric of our lives in small and subtle ways. Yet if we carry this kind of fear around for long, its impact becomes considerably more profound. It can alter the normal functioning of our bodies For example, our breathing, our stress responses, digestion, all of these things that gradually changes how we see ourselves and live in the world and relate to God or the possibility that there is a God. Adaptive creatures that we are, this kind of fear becomes a familiar way of life, so familiar that we learn to regard it as normal. We may tell ourselves that we have no substantial fears or that we've moved through fear when in truth, we're filled with it and nearly oblivious to its, hugely, to its hugely relevant but unknown presence. And there he goes on and on with this. And he finally lands in a place where he starts to begin to talk about how that, that we tend to think of fear as something that's simply individualized, but actually we live in a culture that preys on our individual fears. So everything in the media, everything on social media, all the things around us are all trying to get us to be fearful. Think about the advertisements that are out there that are trying to get you to buy their product because they want you to be afraid. Think about the things that get the highest news ratings. This is not a left or right thing. This is a human thing. Evil preys on fear. And because fear is a thing that exists, it can be twisted and and amplified in our lives in ways unconsciously we just don't know it. And the culture that we live in, we are paralyzed by fear. We're we're, We're fearful of people who are different than us. We fear losing freedoms. We fear being left out. We fear being misunderstood. We fear getting sick. We fear dying. We fear getting other people sick. We we are fearful of looking fearful. We're fearful of looking careless and unloving. We're fearful of the races and religions. We're fearful of government overreach. We're fearful of government interference or indifference. We're, we're fear, fearful of all kinds of things. There's a list of phobias and phobias and phobias. 
And some of those things may be legitimate concerns. My point is to say what's, is not to say what you should fear or not fear. That's not at all. My point is to raise our awareness of how is fear driving what is going on in our life. Most of us, if all of us, have been affected in some way by our personal fears or the fears around us. Who couldn't find toilet paper early in the pandemic? <laughs> this is one of the silliest things in human history. When all of the world might be crumbling, we're, we're fighting in the aisles over toilet paper, right? Out of fear, there might not be enough. Do, do you realize we created a toilet paper crisis in the world? There wasn't one. Fear created one. Do you see what I mean? Again, I'm not saying there aren't legitimate dangers in the world. Don't hear me saying that. There, I'm not saying there aren't legitimate dangers in the world. But the question, we have to do inventory so, every so often and, and think about, what are you doing that is motivated by fear? What are you doing that's motivated by fear? For me, just... One of the things that, that I can do when I'm motivated by fear is I can take on extra work. There might not be enough money. So I need to say yes to this thing because I can make a little extra money. That's one thing. I could give you a whole host of other things. How about this? What are you not doing? And that's motivated by fear. So, so there's the things we do that are motivated by fear, but there's things we don't do that are motivated by fear. What are you, what's going on in your life? What are you missing because fear is motivating the decisions that you're making? What are you not doing that's motivated by fear? For me, I'll just be honest, like I'm an extroverted kind of person. I love to be around people. I, I love people, but I, like, it makes me really uncomfortable to be in a room full of people I don't know in like a networking event. Like some of you guys probably don't know that about me, but I absolutely hate it. I get all kinds of weird anxiety about it. And, I, and, I, and, like, and, and there's a lot of times where I don't want to be in the room. I'm fine with this because I love you all and I know you all and I'm totally happy here. But if you put me in another place when I'm a guest speaker at another church, I want out of there as fast as I possibly can. And the truth is, it's motivated by fear. I'm afraid of awkward conversations. I'm afraid I'll stand there and no one will come and talk to me. I'm afraid that my preaching wasn't good. And so I'll just leave early so I don't have to face it. You guys are like, You're, you got issues, man. Like, what, what's your... But you know, you know it's with you too. You are missing out on things because of fear. On the flip side, what are you doing that's genuinely motivated by faith? What are you doing that's genuinely motivated by faith? Or what are you doing that, that for, or not doing that's motivated by faith? What's the thing that you're genuinely trusting God about, the risk that you're taking? Where are you believing God for the impossible? Maybe that one's a little harder. It was harder for me. How do you know? How do you know if you're operating from a place of faith in the culture of faith? Well, you know you're operating on faith when, you're attempt, when, you're, when you attempt to trust God and believe in him for the impossible, and it makes a tangible difference, not just in your thoughts, but in your actions. We can say we have faith, but faith is revealed in our actions. Faith is revealed in what we do, not just in a peaceful feeling. I can sit at home by myself and feel really peaceful all day. That's not faith. You see what I mean? 
Are you, are you guys okay? Yeah. yeah, okay, I'm just making sure. So faith is actually something that's only revealed in action. Let's jump back into our story here and you'll see this. So all the apostles, they're in the boat. All the disciples, they're in the boat and they're having the same experience. They have the same wind and waves. They see the same ghost walking on the water that turns out to be Jesus. They all hear the same voice from Jesus saying, don't be afraid, take courage, it's I. And then this is what happens in verse 28. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, Tell me to come to you on the water. Yeah. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on water, and came toward Jesus. Peter took the risk. He says, Jesus, if you say don't be afraid, and if you're here with me, then I know I can trust you, and I could do the impossible too. Can you imagine what's going through your mind? Like, you see a person walking on water, you're scared at first, and then it's like, yeah, Jesus and Peter, and in an instant, it's like, okay, cool, let's do this. Let's jump off the water. Like, we give Peter a hard time, but he's the only one that makes an attempt here. Even if it's brief, even if it's just for a second, he gets to experience, oh man, this just gets my heart so much. He's the only one that gets to experience this story with Jesus. Hey, remember that one time? We walked on water for just a couple seconds. That was awesome. And it's not because Peter has special powers or because he's a special person. He's really not. But simply for just a minute, he took Jesus at his word and he experiences the impossible, something none of us have ever experienced for just a minute. But here's the thing, old ways die hard. (laughs) And old thinking dies hard. And fear is pretty powerful even when we feel like we've conquered it, even when we take that risk. And even though he stepped out of the boat and he had enough faith to walk for a minute, he didn't have enough faith to keep walking. So verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And then he climbed into the boat and the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. Peter had faith, but his fear wins out. And again, I would expect Jesus in this story to have a little bit more empathy. <laughs> like, hey, good job, bro. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> but he doesn't. So why do you have so little faith, Peter? Why did you doubt? The truth is, I don't hear a lot of harshness in Jesus' tone. I think it's easy to read into that and think he's, like, he's being really hard on Peter. I don't really think that that's what this is about. This isn't frustration, <laughs> This isn't anger. Jesus simply reaches out his hand and asks him a question. I don't know about you, but I feel like God talks to me a lot in questions. Like, I'm asking, like, sometimes I feel like I'm actually talking to the God of the Bible. Like, you know how Jesus, like, usually answers a question with a question? Like, I feel like that's how God talks to me in my prayer time. Like, what do you think about this? I don't know. I asked you. (laughs) And so you just said, what happened? And I think behind Jesus' response... I think behind what Jesus was doing here is he was wanting more for his disciples, not something from his disciples. I think he was wanting something for his disciple and not just something from his disciple. I think Jesus is saying, Peter, there's more for you here. If you let your faith overcome this fear, 
then this story is just the beginning. Think in this moment, Jesus can actually see in Peter the potential that's there if he can let his faith overcome his fear. So it's not disappointment, it's not frustration that Peter took the step and walk. It's actually more of a sense of like, Peter, I want this for you too. I want you to do what I'm doing. What did Jesus say to his disciples? You will do even greater things. Was Jesus just kidding? Was that a throwaway line? No. Like he really genuinely wants this for his followers. And I think here's where we see the culture of fear clashing up against the culture of the kingdom of God, the culture of faith. The king and his kingdom comes with faith. Where he is, he is in control and everything is possible. I don't know if you've heard me say this tonight, but everything is possible. And so what happens is when the king comes and everything is possible, it does what the kingdom does, and the culture clashes. It exposes values, it overcomes evil, and it brings freedom. In the case of fear... Oftentimes what we find out, if we look at ourselves and we look at the things that we value, one of the things that we'll discover is we really value being in control. We really value safety and security. And so what the kingdom of God often does is it comes and confronts us with opportunities for trust. And it reveals what do you do? Like, what do you actually value? Like, Do you want to be in control or do you want me to be in control? Do you want safety and security or do you want the safety that only I can give in the shelter of the shadow of my wings, Psalm 91? Which one do you want? It exposes what we actually value. And again, this is a good thing for us, not a bad thing. This isn't like a a harsh thing like, how dare you? (laughs) That's That's not what this is. This is more of like, hey, there's freedom here because here's the deal. Overcoming evil might not, or I'm sorry, overcoming this fear, it might not seem like it's overtly overcoming evil, but it is because fear is the domain of our enemy. His goal is to divert our trust away from him, away from the king. That's the enemy's goal. Diminish God somehow in your, in, in your sight. Make you trust less than who he is. Make you fearful of what might happen. It's the enemy's job and what what he's set out to do to bring ruin into our lives, to kill, to steal, and destroy. And if if you can be ruled by fear, then you will be paralyzed. And so if he can make us afraid and keep us to stay in that place, guess what? It steals the life from us that God intended for us to have. And that's evil. That's our enemy having his way in my life, and doggone it, I'm not going to stand for it. Like, it also steals the faith that we can activate on behalf of other people. Because it's not just about us having more peace, it's about faith that moves mountains for others. It's about believing, though, that God actually can do things because here's the thing, Jesus wants to bring freedom. That's the culture of the kingdom. So what he wants for us is to live in a place where we trust him with everything and everything is possible. And when that's the case, we get to live with lightness in our step and peace in our minds. And we we have a, a sense of internal freedom and it means that we're free to pursue the things of the kingdom because we're not driven and motivated by fear. 
And I think that that's what Jesus wanted for Peter and that's what he wants for us. This is the culture that he wants for us to have in our hearts and our homes and in our church. This is the culture where we genuinely believe and trust in God when we believe God for the impossible and where our decisions and the things that we do are not motivated by fear but motivated by faith. You see, fear might keep you alive, but faith is what allows you to truly live. Fear might keep you alive, but faith is what allows you to truly live. Our fear response can keep us from danger, but it's our faith response that helps us to step into danger for kingdom purposes. You see what I mean? Again, I don't want you to hear me saying, actually, let me just, let me just step aside for a second. Here's what we're not doing, and here's what I'm not saying. We're not judging other people for decisions that they make and the things they do as fearful. That's not what we do in this house. I want you to hear me on this, okay? What we're called to do is deal with the fear that's in our own hearts and how it's motivating us or not motivating us. And what we're called to do is to activate our faith in the king and his kingdom and step into things that God has called us to do. Got it? I'm not saying this from a place of frustration. I just think it could be easy to take this and twist it and run with it in a direction that I don't think that our king means for us to go. I think what our king means for us to do is say, how do we see people set free? Well, first, I live free. First, I make sure I look inside and say, are the things that I'm doing motivated by fear? And fear is all over right now, on the left, on the right, in every area of life. Guaranteed, it has been at your door this week, right? where none of us are immune from that. I'm not saying we shouldn't use wisdom and discernment. Guess what? When I put it, get in my car, I put on my seatbelt. My seatbelt is not a sign of fear. I'm just not stupid. Well, maybe I am sometimes. You see what I mean? Like God gave us a brain and he gives us wisdom. He gives us understanding. He gives us all these things. We can make good decisions based on life. And that doesn't mean that we're being fearful. We just have to be aware and wise as to what is motivating us and what we're doing. It's like we're running on autopilot, and that's not okay. We're not meant to run on autopilot. We're meant to be discerning about what's motivating what we're saying and what we're doing. John, you can come up and land this thing. So the question is, you're like, hey, cool. I know I'm supposed to be like, living in this culture of faith instead of a culture of fear, but how do I get there? I feel like maybe I'm stuck. Well, here, here's the best I can, I can give, the best that I feel like the way I've seen God work this in my life and is currently working in my life. Here, I'm gonna give you three A's, and hopefully this is helpful. The first thing that we can do is apply God's word. Apply God's word. Faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. So you can't have more faith if you don't know what God says about a given matter right? You have to know what the heart of God is if you want to be able to grow our faith. I have to know what are the promises of God. I can't declare those promises over myself or other people if I'm unaware of what the promises of God are. And, and I feel like, gosh, God has given us this book full of stuff for us to say, this is who I am. This is why you can trust me. And it's up to us to read that and apply it to our lives. So for example, when there's not enough money to pay the bills, do you know what God's word has to say about that? 
Because if so, you can begin to apply the word of God to those areas in your life. And here's how simply I do this, guys. I just repeat the things that I know are true. I know that's not terribly profound and deep. I'm not gonna write books on that. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's, like, that, that's, not, that's not like, um, it's not anything deep. It's just simply knowing the word of God and claiming it as true over ourselves. When you feel like people are going to reject you for some reason, what does God's word say about who you are? And so, guys, honestly, I'm just learning and have been learning through the years just to uh, try to, okay, God, here's what I'm fearful of. What does your word have to say about it? Okay, help me believe that that's true. So that's my next thing. It's ask. So the first thing is apply. The next thing is ask. Faith isn't actually automatic. It's actually a gift, and it's something that we can actually grow in. And so if I don't have enough, I ask for more. This, I mean, guys, this is like, I should be teaching this to the kids downstairs, right? Not like, it's just so simple. I don't believe, help my unbelief. <laughs> Jesus, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I can't see how this is gonna work. Would you help me see what you see here? Help me grow in faith. Actually, I have been praying this prayer consistently over the last few months that the Lord would actually grow and increase my level of faith. It's a dangerous prayer, I'm just gonna tell you. So I'm asking God to grow my faith. There's also a gift of faith. And I've been praying that specifically over people in this house, that we would grow in the gift of faith. There's a level of faith that all of us can have, and then there's something else where it's like some, a level of impossible. I want that to grow. Not because I want more stuff for us, but I want our impact to grow. And for that to happen, there's gonna have to be miracles done in this place. So ask, and the last thing is act. You can't grow your faith by watching on the sidelines. You've got to get in the game. You can't be a spectator when it comes to faith. The place where you grow in faith is exactly the same place where fear can grow in your life. Hear that. The place where you can grow in faith is exactly the same place where fear can grow, where disappointment can grow. So if you're not willing to uh, experiment and, and, and you're not willing to, to, to um, um, have, have some disappointments in life, if you're, if you're not willing to, to put yourself on the lines where fear might be a possibility, guess what? You're probably not going to grow in faith. I don't mean that like in a harsh way. I don't mean that in a hard way. I'm just saying there's just no other way to do it. There's no way for Peter to know exactly how much he believed Jesus' word until he stepped out of the boat. He believed enough to step out and walk on the water for just a minute, but not enough to keep walking. But this is the same Peter who in the book of Acts is a man filled with incredible boldness who stands up before 3,000 people, actually more than that, and 3,000 people get saved. He's the, he's the person who stands before the leaders of Israel and the Gentiles and proclaims the good news of the gospel. It's the same person. It's the same person who walks by and heals a man. It's the same person who is, the people are healed by a shadow, guys. That's awesome. That's what God wants for us. Not just these incredible miracles. That's awesome, and I hope that that's the case, but I think what he wants for us is to have the, have, have the, the courage to trust him. Sometimes, guess what? You're going to take a step in this 
You're going to take a step in faith and you're going to sink. Just going to be honest. You're going to believe in the impossible and the impossible isn't going to happen. It's going to happen. But the impossible won't ever happen unless you ask God for it. You see what I mean? So what kind of people do we want to be? Do we want to people that play it safe and don't ever have disappointments? Or do we want to be the kind of people that get to celebrate the goodness of God in the land of the living? You know what I mean? To say, God, you, you did this. Like, this is, this is something impossible that only you could do. Life has enough suffering. <laughs> Life has enough difficulty of its own. Why not us be a people of hope and faith? Why not us say, no, fear won't motivate the things I do. Fear won't keep me from community. Fear won't keep me from worshiping and freedom. Fear won't keep me from giving what I need to give. Fear won't keep me from using my gifts and talents to serve the kingdom of God. Fear won't keep me from starting the business that I know that God has called me to start. Fear won't keep me from leaving this job and going to the next job. Fear won't keep me from doing that. Why not be that kind of people? See, the king wants to bring you freedom in this area. And he wants to bring freedom to people around you. And he can only do that through you if you're willing to grow in your faith. You're willing to be stretched a little bit. So again, I want to leave you with just a, just a minute here. I'm just going to give like a minute or so of silence. And here's what I want to ask you. How is fear influencing what you do and what you think? And how about faith? How is faith influencing what you do and what you think? Take a second. I want you just to ask the Lord. Just pray. Let this be a moment of prayer. Let this be a holy moment. You could leave and this could just be like any other day or you could, you could, let, you could leave this place and say, I made a decision for faith today. Here's what we're going to do. These guys are going to sing just a little, just a short little bit here. And while they're singing, I want you to look on the back of the card that you had at the beginning of the service. Um, there's two questions there. The first one is this. What is one thing that you'll take away from today's gathering? So what's one takeaway from today? From the message? From the worship? Something. What's one thing that you'll take away? And then the second question is this, who can I share this with or who can I ask for help? Because we know that transformation really only happens if you do it in community. So there's someone that needs to know about what you feel like God was speaking to you and doing in your heart today. So who can you share that with? Maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's me, maybe it's someone else, but who can you share this with? And then maybe you're here today before you leave and you're saying, I, I, I want this to be true, I believe it to be true, but I'm really struggling and I need some help. 
I need some help understanding. I need some help with prayer. I need some help. So who could you ask for help? That's how we're going to leave this. So you guys are going to sing. Take a second and fill out this card. I'll come up and close some prayer in just a second.